This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Chris DeRussia, the Federal Chief Information Security Officer. Chris, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Hey, Jason. Great to be here with you. And I'm also joined by my colleague, Justin Doubleday. Justin, thanks for taking the time to join me as well. Great to be here, Jason. There's so much to talk about. You, first of all, gave me great, my excitement, favorite time of the year, for the FISMA report to Congress. And then right behind that, you had the FISMA, annual FISMA guidance. And then right after that, you, you guys released new metrics ahead of the Fachari hearing. So much to talk about. So let's start with the guidance and the metrics. Let's discuss them How, you know, across the five areas of the NIST framework. Why did you pick those? How did you come? Just give me a little bit of background about how you got to these metrics. We're talking about some data that we just released on performance.gov. And those are some public-facing performance metrics of federal agencies. And they all relate to data that we captured through a full year cycle of the, of the FY22 FISMA metrics. You know, I think the first decision we made there was to use the NIST cybersecurity framework as our organizing function. We felt it was important to align to what the IGs are using for their assessments as well, and, and just kind of standardize around that. So that was the first decision that we had to make. You know, second, all of the FISMA metrics that we put in 22 are things that we want to be driving as a priority, either things that agencies have been working on for a while or important institutional capabilities, or things that came from EO 14028 and were new, and we were looking to really capture them and drive them. Maybe they need more work. There's opportunity for improvement, barriers, challenges that we want to work through and address. And so that's kind of how we selected the initial capture there. The one thing that is interesting that you brought up is align with the IGs for years. And I think this is not new to you, not new to anyone who's been in this market. There's been maybe a bit of a disconnect between what agencies are measuring and what IGs are measuring. And well, NIST 853 says, here's 111 controls, and Agency X, you only did 82 controls, so you get a B or a C- minus from the IGs. Did you work with the IGs? Did you talk to them about, hey, here's what we're thinking, here's how we would like to capture this data and use this data to recognize the progress agencies are making, and what was their response as well? We've had really good collaboration, you know, as appropriate with the IG community to ensure that you know, some of the, the metrics that we're doing, the CIO metrics, we do run independently, um, but we definitely kept open lines of communication. And, you know, we have worked closely on the IG metrics that, that they develop and use. And the reason that we do that, I think, works really well is to ensure that there is alignment, right? I think that there's a lot of agreement, naturally, between the IG community based on they're out there assessing agencies. They see the same things that we do, uh, where they're gapped, where we can make different types of decisions around maybe focusing on a certain course set of metrics, for example, uh, every year, and then reducing the, the need to kind of look at all the metrics every single cycle and, and kind of doing that over a two-year period is a, is a decision that they made recently and, and we really uh, encouraged and supported. And, you know, the reason is, is you kind of finish one assessment and you show up the next day to start another one, right? We, agencies need time to focus on what matters. And I think we all see that and, and have done a great job of ensuring that these are mutually supportive activities, the, the implementation of the CIO metrics that we run here as OMB, and then the IG metrics that they run and oversee. So let me take a half a step back, make sure I understand. So recently you guys worked with the IGs and they decided to look at 
a set of core metrics year one, and then look at another set of core metrics year two, and then maybe year three, come back to that first set of core metrics. Am I explaining that right? Yeah, no, it is a little confusing. So let me let me clarify. There are sort of three sets. They've broken up all of the controls that they need to review, and, and they do very comprehensive assessments, which is fantastic. What they decided was to kind of split that into every other year, do half and half, um, at least for now. They're trying that out. And in the meantime, also have a core set that gets assessed every year, if that makes sense. And those core metrics really do align with a lot of the administration priorities as well. I think it's just because we see that there's a set of capabilities that stop bad actors in their tracks. If you look at MFA and encryption and a lot of stuff we prioritized, you know, their identity access management, it's it's all the the things that we know we need to make faster progress on and are really going to have the biggest impact. And so they've decided to relieve the pressure a little bit on a lot of the process controls, which are very important to assess, but allow agencies to really kind of on the annual basis, make sure they have enough time to address the gaps that are being discovered on those core metrics. Big piece here that I think a lot of agencies and CIOs that I've talked to get frustrated with is we're doing the best we can, but we keep getting that slap on the wrist because we just can't make fast enough progress. Going back to the the new metrics you all release on performance.gov, this is obviously version one. They will continue to evolve. We heard from, for instance, at the Fatara hearing last week from Jason Gray, the, the USDA CIO, talking about it's a great start. We love this part. And even at the CIO council meeting, uh, OMB, and, and, and you have said these will continue to evolve. So what do they look like today compared to what you're going to be measuring six months, a year from now, how do you see the evolution starting to happen? And, and I know you're like, I, I just released them. Don't ask me about the future, but, but we always want to know kind of how things, how are you looking at the long-term? We'll actually be releasing very shortly, I believe this week, the fiscal year 23 metrics. So you'll, you'll get to see in detail, but happy to preview that a little bit, Jason. I, I mean, look, we're trying to balance keeping a steady base of progress on what we set out in 22. So we don't want to deviate too much from the priorities that we put in there, but we need, and we learned this from engaging the CIOs and the CISOs, we need more granularity in what those barriers and challenges are and where they're having successes, how they're prioritizing implementation. So you'll see a lot of build out of certain metrics that are staying the same. And then we're kind of asking more detailed questions around them to get key insights. And so that's a big shift in theme that you'll see in 23. We've also put some stuff in there because we learned, you know, for example, we set very aggressive targets on logging in M2131 that we put out last year. And, you know, what we've learned is that there's a lot of work in that first maturity cone. And we want to be able to measure progress along that curve to getting to the first tranche because it's, it's harder than maybe we'd initially anticipated. And that's okay, right? Like that's learning, that's being agile. And so we've worked with the CISOs, with CISA, you know, CISA's put out some guidance to them on how to prioritize in, to get to that initial phase of maturity. Um, and, and we're going to work to kind of measure that, right? So it's just one example of how we're getting more granular and ensuring that we're having an accurate view um, and not being binary of like, you're either done and you're a hundred or you're bad because, you know, you're short of that, right? You know, if you're, if you're 90% finished, we want to be able to, you know, reflect that accurately and give the agencies the credit they deserve for working towards those targets. So that's a lot of what you'll see in 23. 
is, is just getting that, that granular adjustment. One of the challenges, and I think you mentioned this at the recent Fatara hearing in, in your testimony, which was balancing the need for the public release of this data and the sensitivities that come with anything when we talk about cybersecurity. Why do you believe these metrics kind of achieve that initial goal? Uh, and, and then what can you know, outsiders like myself or industry or whoever kind of look at those goals and understand where maybe they could help or where maybe there's some real progress going on without it just being they got a 92. And what does that really mean in the overall scheme of things? We collect a lot of data uh, at OMB and CISA on agencies, granular status. You know, we, we look at high value asset programs and do vulnerability assessments of those assets and you know, a lot of that data is really good for internal management, but it's not obviously appropriate to share out. So we try to balance the key priorities that we've been focused on. So you look at things like I already mentioned, encryption and MFA, smart patching. You know, that's kind of a new term for folks that's using uh, threat intelligence and risk-based prioritization aligned with some of the work SIS has done to say, hey, if a vulnerability is being exploded in the wild, it's a critical 10, you know, reprioritize, get that done faster. And, and get people kind of focused on the right things. Also, you know, building out the vulnerability disclosure programs, building out um, red team capabilities to really assess your posture as it is, not as you believe it to be, and doing kind of more of that type of outside in look and testing. And the reason is, is these are just the emerging best practices for understanding your actual risk posture and can be really good proxies to assess whether an agency is moving in that right modern modern direction and modernizing their security program. So, so while they're not full representative, I mean, there's, I think, only around 10 metrics or so sitting behind what we've put out publicly to date. They, they are pretty representative um, when you break them down of whether there's a robust program in place at the agency and whether they're also pushing on the areas that are the emergent areas, right? And that's what we'll keep adjusting and and grow to. As as we get more data in 23, we're really excited about some of the metrics we'll be collecting on. And we've got some good plans to add those to the public-facing dashboard. It's interesting you said there's only about 10 metrics that are sitting behind those public. Uh, I know you mentioned them several times, the smart patching, MFA, encryption. Uh, Are there a few others that you could just kind of put a a finer... uh, point on? Yeah. So the bread and butter ones of assuring authorities operate, you know, we kind of like keep that in there because in the end, like if you have to accept some risks, you're using that as your vehicle to do that uh, and, and, and manage and assess risk accurately. So you always got to keep, keep your eye on the, the ball. And that gives us a sense too, of like our agencies doing the right thing overall. So it's a good one to pick, uh, you know, for that. But then you, we got really granular with the ones that I mentioned few more, you know, after SolarWinds, we, we want to ensure that there's consistent uh, incident response procedures across. So CISA developed the playbook there, and we saw a ton of progress over the last year in those being integrated into agencies, actual exercises and response plans, and really operationalizing that. That's something we were tracking. So just really like maturity of consistent and verified incident response procedures and, you know, again, the, some of these things, if we have good success on them, right, like we can transition them into other ways of tracking and make room for some areas that have more opportunity and need our attention. And, and that's kind of the plan. But so those are those are a few more. And there's stuff on, on high value assets, of course, another really important proxy, like an authority to operate for how an agency's programmatic 
approach to cybersecurity is going. I appreciate that because I think uh, folks will see those, you know, big five or six categories, you know, protect, identify, respond and go, okay, what does that really mean? So it's good to see that there's a little more able to offer a little more specifics about it. Chris, on that note, let's take a quick break. My guest today is Chris DeRussia, the Federal Chief Information Security Officer. I'm also joined by my colleague, Justin Doubleday. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Chris DeRussia, the Federal Chief Information Security Officer. I'm also joined by my colleague, Justin Doubleday. The other piece of this beyond the metrics is obviously the FISMA guidance itself that you all put out. And, and I think part of the thing in the, in the new FISMA guidance is really this drive towards automation, this implementation of zero trust and related priorities. Walk me through maybe the guidance a little bit, maybe some of the things that you want to make sure agencies and industry understand and, and really recognize about the new guidance. We try to ensure that all of our documents are, are reinforcing of one another. So I think a lot of the themes that you'll see in the FISMA guidance for FY23 align very well to what we've been pushing on in EO 14028, Cyber EO, uh, M2209, the OMB, um, the Zero Trust Strategy for Federal Government. And it's just really reinforcing all of the actions that we've put in play. I mean, we've, you know, we've issued something like nine memoranda, I believe, since the EO was penned. And a lot of what you see in, in the FISMA guidance is just ensuring that there's a drive, c- continued implementation of all of those actions. Um, but thematically, you, you hit on a couple that are really important to us. You know, one, one is moving towards automation. Just we're going to continue to try to push that. While physiometrics are great, you know, there's, there's still a bit too much manual data calling in, in play. What we love about CDM program and all of their data capture capability is a lot of that's getting more automated from the agencies, which really just, you know, taking the human out of the loop can reduce a lot of the burden that comes with data call, but still gets you your understanding of, of where they're at. And so I, I think that we're also going to, you can see in the FY23 metrics too, even do a little bit of a hybrid here where some of those metrics we're not going to require be manual data calls. We're going to be hopefully pulling them more and more from automated calls from CISA and the CDM program. And that way, you know, we're starting to balance out the workload there. And then also, you know, zero trust, just that's a huge theme here of building out a mature zero trust program, which is a big, broad thing, encompasses a lot of capabilities we've all been working on for years. Uh, It is kind of a catch-all term, but we find it really helpful because it helps everybody understand when they go and look at the documents that sit behind the term, they can say, oh, okay, it is defined. You have defined it for what you mean here. And these are the things you're focused on. You know, we have them very clear on that. So I, I think it's just continuing to push and ensure that all the agencies are, are, are modernizing and moving in the right direction. Justin, did you want to jump in? Yeah, thanks. Hey, Chris, I uh, just wanted to ask and follow up about one thing you mentioned in there, the push to get agencies to use CDM. I think there's a deadline in that latest FISMA guidance to get to CDM, most systems to CDM by the end of the fiscal year here. How heavy of a lift do you think that is? How have you seen sort of agencies progressing toward getting into CDM so that you can more consistently track that automated data? We've seen a lot of progress, uh, which is good news. But, you know, the, there will always be some opportunity here. A CDM's program has been around for 10 years, and there's been a lot of challenges in implementation along the way, a lot of lessons learned. And I think the key thing is just to continue to learn from that and make those adjustments. But 
I do think more and more, you know, you're seeing agencies be able to kind of get into this flow of, of uh, getting more automated reporting, which is, which is the key goal here. That automation piece is something that obviously agencies have been focused on through the CDM dashboard for quite a while. Do you get a sense of if you guys collect, I'm making this up, obviously, 100 pieces of data, you're getting 30 from the automated and 70 are manual. Do you, do you have any sense of, of or because it's so different for each agency, it's, it's no way to really say most of this data is this, but most of that data is manual. Do you get a sense? That's a great question. I, I honestly don't have a percentage at the top of my head, Jason. But, you know, I mean, all I can say is our, our goal is to, you know, get to 100 one day and we'll just keep kind of striving. And fair enough. I mean, as I said, I think it's one of those questions that agency X is at 92%, but agency Y is only at 62%. So what's their average? And that doesn't really equal anything anything real. I want to shift over to the FISMA report to Congress, because I think that's, that's really a, a good recognition of how much progress agencies are making or have been making over the last year. And give me a sense when you look at that, what stood out to you from that report to Congress? What are some of those things that you'd say this shows that we're not just talking about cybersecurity as we have for the last 25 years, but, but things are actually better because, as you know, folks on Capitol Hill are, want metrics, want new metrics, want different metrics, want the same metrics as last time. We're all about the metrics, but really, who cares? It's really what's the outcome. You can measure whatever you want. What is the outcome? And I think this, the FISMA report to Congress tends to be, highlight that those outcomes better. What are some of the things that you're interested in? The annual report to Congress is focused on fiscal year 21, right? There's a lot in there that shows that we've made good steady progress and, and had a lot of success when you look at the metrics being tracked. Inside there, you look at the hardware, software, uh, mobile asset management, right? You, you can see that agencies are at a, at, a, at a much higher rate than they were. And there's been a lot of real progress made over time. Also, other important things like privileged access management, high-value assets, intrusion detection capabilities. You can just see the progress. And I think in part, that's why we decided to shift our FISMA and metrics 22. So that'll come out in the next year's report. Because a lot of these things are still being tracked through the CDM program, right? Like the data is still being collected, but we're shining lights with the FISMA tool in different areas because there's other areas that we're not doing as well that we need to. And so I think that's the nice storyline here thematically is like, it was a good time in my view to say, Hey, we've been tracking these things for a while, you know, go back to my time here in 15, 16, 17 in this office, right? Like we've been focused on these are a lot of core capabilities, the CDM program. And now it's time to shift to the, to the MFA encryption logging, you know, it's just logging so important to get the, this data that are serving as the digital fingerprints to all these investigations. Like we've got to really get centralized logging and capture uh, at agencies. And I know it's a sounds like a basic thing. You always talk about reviewing the logs, but you know, frankly, it's pretty complicated when you get it when you get down to it. They're coming from all sorts of different systems and uh, all the different you know application logs and like all the different systems that are capturing them. You know, it can be kind of complex to take that and and centralize it and, and, and have it available for the forensics experts and then use it and operationalize it for detection and not just the remediation response. So it, it's, it's crucial data and it's something that we're putting a lot of focus on, I think rightly, and getting the vulnerability disclosure, ground, the ground truth testing a term that we've been using, smart patching, critical software. It's just enabled us to kind of open up the 
this aperture to focus on these next priorities. Chris, if I could just jump in here. So much of, I think, what you've been focused on this year too has been the software security measures that you've been rolling out. And I'm wondering, is there any sort of crossover here in this discussion between what you're tracking through the FISMA metrics, what you're trying to do through secure software development and the IT that agencies kind of rely on here going forward? Is there any way to kind of close the gap there? Yeah, we have had a big focus on uh, secure software development. You know, we, we, we put out a memorandum earlier this year that was really focused on ensuring that, you know, this is based under uh, OMB's FISMA authorities and just ensuring that agencies are following the new NIST guidelines for secure software development. And that means moving forward, um, working to ensure that the software they're procuring, you know, aligns to that guidance. And so, you know, yes, as we move forward in our, you know, metricing and, and data capture, we, we will be working to track implementation progress. But a lot of that uh, oversight is going to be done outside of the metrics for now because it's a lot of it's formulatory. It's building the common attestation forms, building the common inventory system, ensuring trainings getting done at agencies, really having conversations with CFO side, with acquisition council folks, right? I mean, we're, you know, we're spending a lot of time there. We have plans to hold a listening session in the, in the new year with industry. Now that we've got the memo out there, we want to have outlets for feedback and be agile and adjustment. So, you know, I think the metrics that will show us uh, true progress, like the, right, like the, those types of metrics will, 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 will come, but, you know, right now it's, it's like it's building this apparatus to kind of support the policy direction we've chosen. You've given us a little bit of previews of what's coming up in 2023. Uh, so I'll ask two simple questions. When you look back on 2022 first, what, what are some of the big highlights for you? What, what are your most proud of the accomplishment? And then I'll follow that up with a quick what, for 2023. What, what's the one or two things that you'd say you want to make sure people know that's on the top of your and the federal CISO council's agenda? Look, I'm just excited how much cybersecurity has been part of the public dialogue. You know, as I said, again, you know, we issued EO 14028 in May of 2021. And since then, we've issued nine uh, OMB memoranda on cybersecurity, right? So there's just been so much forward momentum. One of the things that I've been most excited about is our real ability to do strategy-based budgeting right now. We put out that zero trust strategy and then we were able to integrate that into the budget process by having implementation plans from each agency and then also running our data calls in, through the budget process for fiscal year 24, where we did our cyber budget data calls aligned to the zero trust capability area so that we can map the tooling to the capabilities, to the pillars and the strategy and there go the strategy. And so we really, you can swing up down uh, with our data that we've got now and understand a real zero trust funding number. We haven't put out the 24 budget, but that's something that's going to be in there is, is a, an actual assessment of how much, you know, the administration's investing in zero trust. And that's not easy to build, but I think that what that gets you is it, it starts to get you this consistency in approach and you, you, can, you can move big things forward when you have that because people can benchmark off of one another. They can 
leverage one another's expertise. We're using communities of practice approaches, um, building those out to, to kind of take all of these lived shared experiences and put them into some more formalized structure to help lift all these boats together around the different uh, pieces we put out. So it's things like that, Jason, that I'm really excited. And I can actually answer your second question too at the same time, because it's like that all of the stuff I just described is also big and challenging. And, uh, you know, this year we're just going to be focused on implementation. You know, we had, uh, we have a lot of policy out now and it's really about the oversight governance, getting these performance metrics, right. Ensuring that they're giving us key insights, not just to how we're doing, but when we're not doing well, why? I call those key insight metrics. And I think they're really important. I learned that after solar winds. I mean, you need the things to continue to benchmark you year over year on like, are you making progress in certain areas? That's important. But our space is so new still, and we're learning so much as we go. You've got to also have metrics that uh, show you what's behind the opportunity space that you've got in that metric and where do you need to have new policy interventions? And I am laser focused on balancing because people love the progress kind and don't understand the key insights kind as much, but I need them, right? To do our job well, we're going to have to keep doing both. And I'm excited that I think we're finding that balance. Chris, let me thank you for your time today. It was a pleasure to catch up. My guest has been Chris DeRussia, the Federal Chief Information Security Officer, and I was also joined by my colleague, Federal News Network reporter Justin Doubleday. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Jason, always great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation, shifting gears to talk about cloud and cybersecurity. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. I caught up with Shante Singletary, the Deputy Director for the Division of Security and Privacy Compliance in the Office of Information Security and Privacy Group at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services after she spoke at the recent 930 Gov conference. You mentioned software as a service. Do you all know roughly, and maybe this is something that's for your CIO versus your office around security, but how much SaaS you're using today? Is it a percentage or any any idea of we have you know a lot of SaaS, a little bit of SaaS, a fair amount? I feel like we have a fair amount of SaaS. Our agency also do a lot of sponsorships of different cloud service providers, and we've sponsored quite a few, maybe close to 10 in the last four to five years. So... I would say we have about a moderate usage of SaaS products. And one of the things you said is you feel like you're going to, CMS is going to go more into SaaS, so you're trying to put some guardrails around it. And you talked about three different areas, discover, secure. There was a third one. Can you just maybe go through those again and, and talk about where you're at with that process? Is it a new process? Is it something you've been working on for quite a while? Yes, this is a new program we just started where we're trying to figure out what's the best way to manage SaaS products and track those SaaS products, and also uh, evaluate risk in those SaaS products. So when I say discovery, and that's where we are right now, is identifying, we identified a tool that will help us manage the discovery of SaaS in our environment. And with that discovery, we would love to um, evaluate those SaaS products, categorize them, make sense of what their usage are. Because we don't want to call out things as unsanctioned. Like the gentleman in the conversation at the conference, he said, well, if everybody's using it, it's not shadow. But we got to understand who's using it, why they're using it, and what type of sense of data is going in it. And 
have that conversation around what capabilities should these SaaS products should have available for them? What other security requirements should they incorporate at the agency? And that's where we are right now, just identifying you know, the tool and doing the discovery and having those meaningful conversations with our counterparts within the operations on what we can do better to manage these platforms across the agency. Any surprises so far? Anything that you're like, oh, I didn't know we had three different ones of that or, or four different of that or, or that you even had something at all? Anything kind of stand out to you? Over the years, we've noticed we have multiple instances of certain things like Salesforce, ServiceNow. And what we've been doing in the last couple of years is trying to figure out how we make those things enterprise widely used and letting people know that there's a, a way of procuring those platforms, those services, and also how to manage the licensing around it. Also, I'm incorporating certain security capabilities, making sure that they know that there's integration to our SOC. There's also capability of encryption that could be enabled in some of these uh, platforms or solutions that's offered out there. But yeah, we, we uncovered a lot of multiple use cases at our agency and our CISO and CIO is doing a really good job on helping out with making those things more centrally managed. And really, in the end, that's what you're trying to do here is, is not tell people no, but just do it so you know it's happening. And then it's within the guardrails that you all set from a security and, a, and an enterprise perspective. That's correct. And at CMS, we have different centers and eight and different areas of CMS where they're focusing on certain healthcare services to provide to the public. Um, and everybody is moving at the pace of you know, they need this now, we need to be more innovative, we need to, you know, human-centered design is a big thing at our agency as well. So with our group, we're just trying to give people a way of evaluating a risk standpoint from a product. And I do say non-fed ramp because a lot of the products that people are interested in are non-fed ramp. And in a lot of cases here at our agency, most of the ones that are are considered non-fed ramp are considered in some ways FedRAMP ready. Uh, they're already engaging with us with sponsorships and, and other things like that. But there's a lot of use cases where a lot of people want to use non-FedRAMP stuff and we don't want to be the, the group that says no to everything. So we're trying to figure out what's the best way of evaluating some of these non-FedRAMP products and giving it some type of authorization with some guardrails and, and hope that maybe one day this solution will become FedRAMP and it could be leveraged across multiple federal agencies. But that's where we are today. You mentioned there's three parts to this software as a service effort. You mentioned discovery is where we are today. The other two are in, in process or are you going to start? What, what are the other two first and, and then how do you get those going or is it all happening in parallel? I think the first thing, like I mentioned, was the discovery and secure was the next thing. And I think secure, we're doing that in parallel with discovery. We're looking at other capabilities that will help us do configuration management with some of these SaaS products and finding out um, if there's any deviations from best practices. So that's another way of us doing some bit of the secure part is leveraging a certain type of tool to do configuration um, management. So some of the more prevalent SaaS solutions across our agency. 
The other piece of this is, and you mentioned, is looking at the risk assessment in a different way, specifically of, of SaaS tools. And you brought up the, the FedRAMP versus non-FedRAMP and the challenges with getting more things through the FedRAMP process. From a risk assessment perspective, are, are there new ways that you're looking at risk, or are there new approaches to, to doing risk assessment? Yes, we're looking at new ways and thinking outside the box. One of the things that we look at closely when we evaluate things that are not on FedRAMP is their SOC 2 audits and pen tests, the latest pen test results. And I mentioned in the conference, we're definitely uh, leveraging SBOM related information to evaluate the risk posture from a software uh, build standpoint. Um, and there's other tools out there that we are looking to leverage to help us give, give us some technical insight on the risk posture of some of these products out there. This is just a working process. So we're just, just starting off with grassroots information from compliance standpoint and then whatever technical solutions we can leverage that is easily and readily available for vastly anybody. Like I said, SBOM is more more of the popular thing and, and it's easier for us to get that information from a lot of these vendors. You mentioned SBOM, a very popular topic among ever since the executive order and, and things of that nature. Are you finding that uh, the vendors that you're working with are ready to provide you with some of that back, that, that depth of detail? Or is it something, again, you're just starting to kind of look at it and, and step one is, okay, do you have it? And step two is now getting into that depth of detail. How's it been going with SBOM? Because we don't hear a ton of, I guess, agencies talking about it quite yet. So far, a lot of our vendors are willing to supply that information. Some are a little hesitant. I think the challenge that we're going to have if we want to do some type of level of continuous monitoring of some of these SaaS solutions or products and we want those those um, feeds continuously, I think that's where we might run into some challenges with some of our st- customers or some of our vendors that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. But for the most part, if they are willing to do business with us and know that we're requiring a certain security requirement or data element for uh, evaluating risk, they're more than more than likely willing to share that information um, to some extent. From a risk perspective, do you feel like the pandemic has opened the door for CMS to be to take smarter risks or different risks than maybe they did than you all did previously, or or is it just maybe evolution of, of technology is has opened the door and the the pandemic was the accelerator? I think every agency is facing the same challenges after the pandemic. It's forced us into a way of life where we have to work more smarter, uh, leveraging all kinds of technology and resources that is really available from your laptop or your smartphone. So I think this this is something that you know everybody's going to see as an eye opener that now you have to start leveraging some of these solutions to do the work you've been doing. Um, not everybody's going to be at the same place. Not everybody's going to be able to collaborate at the same time. So we're all forced into adopting some of these products and solutions because the nature of the, the state of the, the world, right? We're still going to be dealing with the pandemic long before after now. You just heard from Shante Singletary, the Deputy Director of the Division of Security and Privacy Compliance in the Office of Information Security and Privacy Group at CMS after she spoke at the recent 930Gov conference. I'm Jason Miller, and we have to take a break. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. For this segment of the show, we switch gears again and hear from Kurt Dalbeni, the Veterans Affairs Department's Chief Information Officer. 
When I took the job, I kind of had an overarching goal for the organization. I can't emphasize enough the kind of sacred mission that VA has in terms of serving veterans, families, survivors, and caregivers. And it's because of this that my goal was to set OIT up and VA up as the best and model example for what it means to be a modern IT shop in the federal government. And I think we're making progress on that. You've hopefully seen our Vision 2022 video series that lays out where we're going with the effort. Um, but I wanted to share with you and summarize kind of some of the highlights there. First thing I did is took a look at the organization structure and assess how well it was working and really took efforts to reduce the levels, layers of management in the organization and create a very flat organization, everybody reporting directly to our primary deputy assistant secretary. And really the goal there is to create collaboration across the teams to make it very clear who's got what responsibility and to facilitate decision-making and speed decision-making across the organization. It also sets up a set of very senior leaders, some of which are on this call, as the people who realize they are the cohesive set of leaders for the organization all uh, overall. And they're responsible with uh, myself and, and Dwayne and Charles um, as those, uh, those other senior executives that don't report to the PDS. That is the senior leadership team for the organization. That is how it works in the commercial sector as well. Very flat organizations are typically the most effective one. And that's the first thing we did. The second thing was really to set a vision for the organization that anchors around what the notion of great IT looks like, one that's really effective at delivering on stakeholder needs. Um, in this case, we're talking about the veterans, caregivers, um, their families, and survivors, as I said before. And that vision has four elements to it. One is for the entire organization to be vision-driven. Second, to focus on operational excellence. Third, to create delightful end-user experiences, which are really the expectations of uh, our veterans and the people using our internal systems, and then fourth, investing in our, our teams. And so I wanted to spend a little bit of time uh, knowledge, being knowledgeable of the fact that we really want to focus on questions and talking about and anchoring everybody on what that means. The first thing is if you look at IT organizations in the, across the entire globe, whether that's in the federal space or when the, in the commercial space, there's a real challenge around focusing not just on the order taking from uh, your stakeholders, but really stepping back and making sure that you understand from their perspective what it is they're trying to accomplish for their organization. You define a vision with them, and then you connect that two to a two to connect it to a two to three year roadmap, and also a resource allocation strategy that matches with that. And we've been working hard with all the teams to define what that vision is for our major portfolio areas, what that roadmap looks like, and what, that what the resource allocation looks like that connects to that. That is a constant iterative process, whereas things change, things like the PACT Act, which we'll talk about in a second, are introduced. The whole vision can change somewhat, but it doesn't change that dynamic of being driven by that. And then really using that as a lens to go back when a request comes in that says, hey, how does that fit in with where you're trying to go? And how would you then help us prioritize that work versus the other work? And so that really gets us super focused on delivering on this critical mission for the VA. I think that's really what digital transformation is all about at its heart. It's a recognition that these core systems are now the, the key to achieving the, the outcomes of the organization. And it really puts a high precedent and a high premium on being vision driven to begin with. The second thing, and this has been a lot of our efforts so far, has been our operational excellence. 
And that means that uh, making sure that we're constantly honing and improving how we execute. Think about it, we have over a half million desktops that we support. We have over 900 systems. We have over 2000 different locations. It's incredible complexity. And we're always dealing with the fragility of some of these systems. The fact that naturally in this course of business, um, you have outages and issues that come up. Our goal on the operation excellence size is to measure how we're doing in terms of keeping system uptime and performance time at its peak, and then to do detailed analytics whenever we have a problem. We meet every single morning to walk through all the incidents that have occurred, make sure, figure out what the so what is, what the root cause analysis is, and figure out how we're going to get better moving forward. That same thing that is super critical in terms of security. I tell the teams there's nothing more important than securing the organization, securing the assets that we have. At its heart, it's about securing veteran data, which is our commitment to them. And we're very excited about focusing around zero trust networking as that way of thinking about securing the organization overall. Zero trust, the strength of that framework is that it cascades directly into a set of measures of, of secure security. It helps you make decisions between the plethora of products that are out there that people are trying to sell to you and say, no, we have a set of objectives that, are, that represent our journey towards zero trust. And here's the set of milestones that come from that. Here's the set of metrics that drive our success. And that's we're super focused on getting alignment. Again, it gets back to that vision orientation. If the vision is around zero trust, here's the roadmap, here's the metrics of success, and here's where we're allocating our resources to make sure that we get to that. So that's what operational excellence is at its heart. I will say if I accomplish nothing more in my tenure at the VA um, in an OIT, I'm super committed, and I'm actually confident because we're working well on this, of honing and improving our operational excellence and really getting us to state of the art there. It is something we're super, super passionate about. The third thing is around delightful end user experiences. If you think about what the expectation is of veterans in a modern world that's driven by IT systems, they expect an experience that helps them to have a single portal into all the resources they're trying to get from the VA. They expect that experience to kind of mirror what they, they see in the consumer world. And they expect things like a mobile device experience as well. And so we're delivering on that with VA.gov. But we want to bring that to all the systems, the critical systems in the VA, and just have an experience that helps them do their job effectively, connects them to resources effectively, um, and really is a delight to use. And then the final thing is we couldn't do what we're doing without our people. Um, we want to renew our commitment to the workforce because our people are the core of our operations, and it's how we advance our mission. We're working across in terms of figuring out like what's the value proposition for our employees? What's the salary look like relative to the commercial space? It is a very challenging market in that regard. What's the career path? How do people ascend in their career within the VA? How do they make a transformation from being in the VA to, to going on to the commercial space or other places in the federal government? That's only gonna happen if we're very consciously looking at those career paths, how we uh, kind of improve the deal for being a member of the VA of the OIT team in particular, and we're working very, very hard on that as well. That's all the time we have for today. You just heard an excerpt of a press conference from Kurt Delbeni, the Veterans Affairs CIO. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.
With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC.